let's celebrate Bibleopolis this morning. What a great children's ministry. Good morning, good morning. Good to see everybody. It's great to greet everybody joining us online. So glad that you tuned in with us today. Grab a Bible and go to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. While we're turning there, let me just mention something about uh, our next sermon series that's beginning the weekend of September 7th and 8th. It's a sermon series called Room for Doubt. And I really believe it will be one of the most important series in the history of Mount Pleasant Christian Church. Uh, That first weekend, September 7th and 8th, which, by the way, is when we begin our new Sunday morning service schedule. And I just recently wrote a blog about that. If you'd like to learn a little bit more about the reason why we're making that change and why we chose the times that we chose, then you can read that blog. You can access it on the website. But anyway, and that first weekend of September 7th and 8th, we'll have a special guest speaker named Mark Middleberg, who will be here to kick off the series. I want to introduce you to Mark in a couple of ways. First of all, let me just read a brief bio on him. Mark is a best-selling author, sought-after speaker, leading outreach strategist, and the executive director of the Center for Strategic Evangelism in partnership with Houston Baptist University. Mark's passion for equipping people to defend their faith is uniquely approachable, humorous, and always very practical. I've been a big fan of Mark Middleberg's for a long, long time. I have some books that he's written up in my library. My favorite book that he's written that helps us as Christians defend our faith and to understand the questions and doubts of uh, people who are not Christians is a book called The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. What a provocative title, and I would encourage you to pick it up. It's a great book, The Questions Christians Hope No One Will Ask. But in addition to that, Mark has prepared a very personal video for us at Mount Pleasant. It's very brief. I want you to watch it with me real quickly. Hi, my name is Mark Middleberg, and I'm so excited to join you there at Mount Pleasant Christian Church on the weekend of September 7th and 8th, where I'll be helping to launch this exciting new series called Room for Doubt. You know, as believers, we all have questions, and we all have doubts at times. And if we're not careful, if we don't address those doubts, they can fester and grow and they can really harm our faith. More than that, we have friends and we have family members who have their own set of questions and doubts. Well, that's why this series is so important and that's why I'll be teaching that day about how we can use doubt as a catalyst for our own spiritual growth. In addition to that, we're going to do something unusual for a church service. We're going to open it up to questions where I'll address whatever challenges you face or maybe doubts you wrestle with, and I'll give biblical, logical, and I think sound answers to those questions. So I hope you'll be there September 7 and 8, and I hope you'll bring friends who have these same kinds of questions, and together we're going to learn how to make room for doubt, but how to address our doubt and to grow through doubt to have a more confident faith in Christ. We'll see you then. All right, so a common question asked me is, is this a series for Christians or for non-Christians? And the answer is both. Honestly, truly, it's for both. And I can't find words strong enough to encourage you to be here, especially on that first weekend, to hear Mark, but as well, uh, to be here as well on the next four weekends, because these are the questions we're going to deal with in the next four weekends after Mark. Does God really exist? Isn't the Bible full of myths and mistakes? Why do Christians say that Jesus is God's Son? And is it intolerant to say that Jesus is the only way? I'm praying that you'll make a priority uh, of this series and that you'll make it a priority to invite your one life and any friends, family members, coworkers, neighbors that you have 
that you know are a long way from God and have uh, questions that they wrestle with when it comes to spiritual things. I'm praying that it'll be a very powerful experience. In fact, before we turn our attention to Matthew 25, let's just bow and pray for this Room for Doubt series together as a family. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for the opportunity for this Room for Doubt series that happens the weekend of September 7th and 8th and the four subsequent weekends. We lift it up to you today and we pray for your blessing and your favor to be on this. Go ahead of us and present for us opportunities to extend invitations to people that would benefit from this. Help us to be open and honest about where we are in our spiritual lives and the questions and doubts that we may wrestle with that keep us from being as bold or as certain in our faith as we should be. I just pray that many, many lives, many, many hearts will be changed as a result of this series. We need your help in that. And so we're asking for that today in the name of Jesus. And everyone agreed and said? Amen. Amen. All right. It's going to be an exciting time here at Mount Pleasant. Well, as you know, we've been involved in a verse-by-verse journey through the Gospel of Matthew called Let's Talk About Jesus since November of 2016. And as we open up our Bibles to Matthew chapter 25, we're near the end of a section of Matthew's gospel that's called the Olivet Discourse. It's Matthew chapters 24 and 25. And in the Olivet Discourse, Jesus talks about his second coming. He begins the passage by talking about six signs that will precede his coming. And then he talks about the reality of what life and the world will be like before his coming. And then finally, he talks about how important it is for us to be ready for his coming. And a big part of being ready for the coming of Jesus is making sure that we make the most of our lives by not wasting the different resources, opportunities, talents, skills, influence, whatever it might be that God has provided us with. And that brings us to Matthew chapter 25 and our text today, which is verses 14 through 30. So if you got your Bibles open there, let's go ahead and stand together for the reading of the Scripture, something we always do. We make the public reading of Scripture a big part of our service, and because we have such respect for God's Word, we stand when we do it. Follow along as I begin reading in verse 14. This is the familiar parable of the talents. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents brought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I have gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servants. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness." The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you entrust me with two talents. See, I have gained two more. The master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. And the master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then, you should have put my money on deposit with the banker so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one with, who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. All right, there it is. You can be seated. I love ending on a high note. Weeping and gnashing of teeth. 
It's amazing how many times in the Gospel of Matthew that's been the final verse of the passages that we have read. All right. Well, here's my goal with this message. My goal is to be as practical as possible in talking about our understanding and application of this parable. And so that being said, let's dive right in. I think there are four important truths that we learn in this parable that can help us make sure we are making the most of our lives, that we're living our lives as an investment, which will help us to be ready when Jesus returns. If you're taking notes, I'd like you to write down next to number one, this first thing. Our opportunities are directly related to our abilities. This is an immutable truth of life, friends, that we need to understand. Our opportunities are directly related to our abilities. And I want to begin with a word of explanation. In this parable, we're talking about talents. It's the parable of the talents. When the word talent is used in a context like this, it always refers to money. But that's a little bit misleading. Because the word itself in the original language, and it's the Greek word talentios, represents a measure of weight. Not so much gold or silver or bronze, but it represents a measure of weight. In other words, the value of a specific coin is based on its weight. A talent of gold, for example, is very valuable. A talent of silver weighs less. It's a little bit less valuable. A talent of bronze weighs a little less. It's a little less valuable, and on and on and on. And so, as Jesus uses the word talent here, the emphasis is not on the monetary value of what He gave the servants. The emphasis is the truth that each man was given a certain amount of talents based on his abilities. And so, the bottom line is this. Not everyone gets the same opportunities because because not everyone is capable of handling the same opportunities. And God will only give you as much as He can trust you with. That's why Jesus said what He said. Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one He gave five talents of money, to another two talents, and to another one talent. And here's the key, each according to His ability. This reflects an undeniable truth of life. Not everyone gets the same level of opportunity in life because not everyone has the same ability. Not everyone gets the same opportunity from God because not everyone has the same ability. And we just need to understand that as a matter of fact. In Jesus' story, the master who handed out the talents, who went on a journey, didn't love the servant with the five talents more than the other two servants who only received two talents and one talent. He just recognized the difference in their abilities. You know, the first time I played football when I was a boy, it was on a team that combined two grades, the fifth grade and the sixth grade. Now, I have a brother who is 17 months older than I am. You've never met him, probably never will. You know my younger brother, Kenneth. I'm about eight, older, eight years older than him, and he's been here, and he's preached a few times just recently, a couple of weeks ago. But my older brother's name is Kerry. He's 17 months older than I am. We shared a bedroom growing up. We were always just one grade apart in school. And my brother, Kerry, was just one of those kids who was a natural athlete. He grew faster than everyone else. He was stronger than everyone else. Uh, he, he was... Uh, uh, 
taller than everyone else, and on and on and on. And as a result, he was a big star on that football team, both on the offensive side and the defensive side, and that team went undefeated and won a championship. He scored lots of touchdowns. He made lots of big plays on defense. He got lots of attention and on and on and on. In contrast to that, I sat on the bench (laughs) on that fifth and sixth grade football team. I didn't get to play much. The only time I got in the game was when the game was out of reach and you just put in the second string to finish out the clock. Now, that was because I wasn't good enough to play like my brother Kerry got to play. Eventually, that day came for me. Eventually, my day came and I got that opportunity when I got bigger and when I got better. But my playing time on that first team was based on my ability and I understood that. Everyone understood that. That's just the way it is in life. Years later, when my son Andrew started playing sports, this was interesting to me. When my son Andrew started playing sports, I was usually the coach of his team. If I wasn't the main coach, I was an assistant coach on his team. And I encountered a lot of parents who didn't understand the, when your son gets better, he'll play more principle of life. You ever known anybody like that? Are you that guy? One of the things I love the most about our sports, our youth sports ministry here at Mount Pleasant is it's recreational. What that means is it gives all the kids who play in all the different sports, whatever sport it is, it gives all of them the opportunity to play in equal amounts. If there's a, if there's a game that lasts four quarters, then everybody gets to play at least two quarters. It gives everyone the opportunity to play in equal amounts. But let's face it, let's be honest, that is not the way it is in life. Someone say amen to that. It's not. That's not the way it is in life. And so what we need to do, and honestly, I think this is something we need to teach our children, is instead of being focused on the opportunities someone else has, we need to look for whatever opportunities we have and then make the most of them. The parable teaches us that the Lord gives us opportunities according to our abilities. And some people are five-talent servants, and some people are two-talent servants, and some people are one-talent servants. But what matters most to Jesus, and this is clear in the parable, is not the number of talents you have. What matters most to Jesus is what you do with the talents you have. My guess is most people in this service and most people who'll be here this weekend probably feel like they're either two-talent servants or one-talent servants. Well, in the parable, the difference in what the one-talent servant and the two-talent servant started out with was not that much. There was just one talent difference between the two of them. But the difference in what they ended up with was substantial because one took what he had and put it to work while the other took what he had and buried it in the ground, or in other words, he wasted it. And so here's what we need to remember. God will give you as much as he can trust you with. And just because someone is given more opportunities than you is not an excuse for you to waste whatever opportunity you've been given. That's something we need to remember. Here's the second practical truth I think we can learn from this parable. Faithfulness will always lead to promotion. Write that down next to number two. Faithfulness will always lead to promotion. You remember we read the parable, and we read about how after the servant with the five talents and the servant with the two talents put them to work and doubled their talents... They gave them, they presented them back to their master, the man who had distributed the talents, and as a result, their master said the exact same thing to both of them, the exact 
same thing. We see it in Matthew chapter 25, verses 21 and 23. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. He spoke the exact same words to the man who had doubled the five talents and the man who had doubled the two talents. Both servants were faithful with with what they had been given, and as a result, both were given more. Their resources weren't equal. One started with five, one started with two, but their effort was equal. Their faithfulness was equal, and so they received an equal reward. What's the lesson there? Well, the lesson is that faithfulness pays off. Faithfulness always leads to promotion. And it doesn't matter, hey, listen close. It doesn't matter whether you're faithful with a little or you're faithful with a lot. You're going to reap some kind of reward because God is always pleased with faithfulness. Always. Think of it like this. Here's another way to frame it. Being responsible always leads to more responsibility. Being responsible always, everyone say always, always leads to more responsibility. That's something I've learned as a pastor in two ways. First, I began in full-time ministry in May of 1980, so May next year will be 40 years for me in full-time Christian service. My first job, I've told you before, was being a youth pastor. I was a youth pastor for 18 months. I never wanted to be a youth pastor. I always wanted to be a preacher, but nobody would give me a chance when I was 21 years old to be a preacher. And so I took a job at a church in Houston, Texas, being a youth pastor, and I was in charge of all the children from the, nurse, from the babies in the nursery all the way up through the high school students. I was 21 years old. Babies in the nursery, all the way up to the high school students. Well, obviously, I was going to need a lot of help. And something that I learned early on when it came to recruiting people in the church to help me is that the busiest people make the best volunteers because they always find a way to get things done. Haven't you found that true in just about any arena of life? I'm going to say it again. The busiest people always make the best volunteers because they always find a way to get things done. Now, in the beginning, I was hesitant to ask people who are already active serving in the church and other areas to be in part of my ministry. But after a while, I said, well, forget that because these are responsible people. If they don't think they can do it or they don't want to do it, they'll say that. But if they say that they'll help me and they'll be a part of my ministry, I know that they'll do what I ask them to do. And that was an important lesson that I learned when I was very young, and that lesson is just as true today. I look around this church, I even look around this service at some of your faces, and I'm reminded that the busiest people always make the best volunteers because busy people always find a way to get things done. The second way I learned this truth, that being responsible always leads to more responsibility, is this. And please just don't misunderstand me here. Don't misunderstand my heart. I'm just going to tell you my story. And I'll just say this. I'm the least likely person in the world to be the pastor of this church. I say that because I never in my life had this vision of being the pastor of a large church, certainly not what's called a mega church. I didn't grow up in that kind of church. I never served on the staff of that kind of church. I was never connected in my life through a family member or a friend or anybody who was a part of that kind of church. And when I planted my first church with 30 people, in Houston, Texas in 1982, and I can say this this morning with integrity, I thought that I would spend the rest of my life there. I did. I was happy there. We had family there. We had close, close friends there. Both the kids were born there. I thought I would spend the rest of my life there. 
But then about 11 years later, when I really felt God was calling me to a small struggling church in my hometown in Oklahoma, and I moved my family there, I thought I would spend the rest of my life there. That's the way I approached that ministry every single day of my life. In fact, Almost 18 years ago, when Sandy and I were really, really wrestling with the decision of whether or not to come here, and 18 years ago, because the very first time I visited this church was in August of 2001, I came here and I sat in the service as just an anonymous worshiper and spent time with the elders. And when we were trying to make that decision, which was so difficult, one of the things that she said to me in the process was she said, are you going to live here for the rest of your life? And in my mind, I was like, yeah. That's my plan. I'm going to be here for the rest of my life. But I genuinely believe that God, because God considered me faithful with those two churches, he gave me the opportunity to be the pastor of this church today. When I served on the board of the Solomon Foundation for six years, we used to host pastors' conferences twice a year. And we would bring in these pastors, and most of them were young guys uh, who were in in young or startup or small churches, uh, I, would, I would get to know them. I would sort of talk with them, and almost all of them were restless, and they wanted to be somewhere different than they were, and what that really meant on a practical level is they wanted to be in a church that was bigger and more well-known and more influential than the church that they were in in the moment. And I loved having the opportunity to sit with them and talk with them and tell them a little bit about my story and tell them just to be faithful where they were and to trust God for the results. Be faithful where you are and trust God for the next step because God honors faithfulness. Faithfulness always leads to promotion. Being responsible leads to greater levels of responsibility. Several years ago, I got invited by the college that I went to in in, uh, Joplin, Missouri. It's called Ozark Christian College to come back. They have a preaching and teaching convention every year in February at the college. They say, we want you to come back and be one of our main speakers in one of the main sessions, but we also want you to lead a workshop. I said, what do you want me to lead a workshop about? And they said, I don't know. You tell me. And so I sat down. I said, okay, well, let me sketch out three possible ideas. It's something, you know, that I mean, I wasn't going to lead a workshop on something I didn't know anything about. So I just sat down and I thought about, well, what, I, what, what could I talk about in a workshop setting? And I sent them three possible ideas. And the one that they chose and asked me to lead was one that I created that I called Big is Where You Are. Because I knew that convention really well. I've been to it several times. And I knew that it was going to be 80% of the people there were going to be preachers in small churches, a lot of them rural churches, without a whole lot of fellowship with other preachers. And I know how easy, I have a heart for preachers in small churches. I really do. Because I spent several years in that role and I loved every minute of it. And I knew that they were going to come and I knew some of them would be discouraged and I knew some of them would think nobody's noticing or celebrating anything that we do and I don't have any fellowship with anybody and nobody, nobody cares and on and on and on. And I just want to talk about this truth that, listen, big is where you are. Be faithful where you are and trust God for the next step. And so the most important thing that I may say to you today in this message is this. When it comes to how we spend our lives we, know, we need to know that what God is looking for is he's looking for us to be faithful in the little things he's given us, to be faithful in the little things that he's called us to do, and eventually we can trust him to reward us on some level with some bigger thing. Faithfulness always, everyone say always again, always leads to promotion. Don't ever forget that. 
right down next to number three. Accomplishing something, this is going to blow you away, folks. This is so extreme. <laughs> accomplishing something is always better than accomplishing nothing. <laughs> Took me a long time to come up with that point. <laughs> I know it doesn't sound particularly strong, but look back at verses 24 through 27 in our story. Now we're talking about the third servant, the one who had received the one talent. The man, then the man who had received the one talent came, Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well, then you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers so that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. And so listen, what is the parable saying? The parable is saying by the master's own words, it's saying that if the servant would have just done something, that would have been better than doing nothing. Just something, even if it was to put his talent in some low-risk, low-return investment. And ultimately, the master was so angry because that third servant did nothing. So what do we learn from this? Well, listen, write this down somewhere. The only real failure in life is not trying. The only real failure in life is not trying. I know there are all kinds of reasons why people, and maybe this describes some of you, why people don't try to do something with their lives, with their opportunities, with their talents, their skills, their resources, their influence, whatever it might be. Maybe you feel like you've failed too many times already. Maybe you're like the third servant and you're just afraid to try. Maybe you think that what you have, whatever level of talent or opportunity or resource or skill or influence you have is just not enough to make a difference. Don't make the mistake of doing nothing with whatever opportunity God gives you because when you choose to do nothing, you close the door on God. You close the door on God to do any kind of work in your life as a result of your faithfulness. You close the door on God to provide any blessing in your life as a result of your faithfulness. Don't ever think that what you have is not enough to make a difference. Don't ever think that. Listen, I've talked to a lot of people over the years. I used to, I've taught this passage before multiple times, but I've almost always taught it in the context of financial stewardship because there's great principles in this parable about financial stewardship. And I've talked to so many people over the years who don't save any money. They never save any money. I say, why don't you save any money? They say, Pastor, the, the amount of money that I have to save after all my obligations are done is not enough to make a difference. You know what? You're going to be struggling financially the rest of your life if that's your attitude. Because you don't need a lot of money to invest to make a difference in a way that makes a difference. That's why the Bible says in Proverbs 13, 11, dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. You don't have to have a lot of money to save to one day save a lot of money. If you start early, you are consistent, and you take advantage of the power of compounding interest. Listen, don't be like that third servant. Don't waste whatever it is that God has given you. Don't make the mistake of closing the door on God. And so here's a question I want to ask you, and I'm really, really serious about this. Write this down somewhere. Even if you don't take any other notes, write this question down and think about it. And I'm going to frame it in the context of this third servant who took his one talent and went out and buried it in the ground. What have you buried in the ground in your life that needs to be unburied today and put to work in a way that pleases God? What is it? What talent, what opportunity, what resource, what skill, what passion 
have you buried in the ground for whatever reason that needs to be unburied today and put to work in a way that pleases God? The answer to that question could possibly make a huge difference in the rest of your life. And so it's something that all of us need to seriously consider. Finally, number four, write this down, and I'll do this quickly. Invest your life in a way that leads to more and begin today. When this man, this master settled accounts with a servant who did nothing with the one talent he was given, he said, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. All of us have been given different opportunities, different resources, talents, skills, however you want to frame it, to work with. And the more we use them, the more blessing we will receive from God. But according to Jesus' story, if we don't put those things to work, we're in danger of losing what we have. And so we need to think of this part of the parable as a use it or lose it warning. All of us, all of us need to make sure that we understand that. And so we need to invest our lives in a way that leads to more, and we need to begin today. You know what? I think you can make the case, and I have, I have read this parable so many times, heard it so many times, and you probably are the same. But I think you can make the case that the most important part of this parable is found in three simple words. I'm going to put Matthew 25, 16 up on the screen. I don't want to look at those, that verse with me. I want you to read this verse with me. Let me hear your voices. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. And there they are, friends. Those may be the three most important words in this parable. Went at once. He didn't wait. He didn't delay. He didn't waste any more time. He took those five talents and he went at once and put them to work. And as a result, he gained five more. You should underline that or circle that phrase, went at once in your Bible, however it's written, translated in whatever Bible you're using. And you need to remember that because that's the example we need to follow. And listen, we need to remember this in anything God wants us to do. Whatever it is God wants us to do, we need to have an attitude that we're going to go at once and do that. God wants us to live healthy lives. Maybe it's time to go and immediately begin to live a more healthy life. God wants us to... To, to forgive people, to not, to not be separated from people, to not harbor unforgiveness and let unforgiveness create a bitter spirit and attitude in our hearts. And so we, if there's somebody we need to forgive, we need to go at once and forgive them. God wants us to be good stewards of whatever amount of finances he's entrusted to us. That's a big deal to God. If you've got the church here for any length of time, you know that's true. Well, we need to begin at once to become good stewards of what God has entrusted to us. The servant who was given the five talents was called good and faithful because he went at once to put his talents to work. And I'm challenging you to do the same thing. So what is it that you need to do today? What is it? Do it today. Now, I said earlier, and Brian and the team can come, we'll close, that my, I wanted to be practical with this parable, and I hope that's been the case. But there's one final thing that I think I would be remiss if I didn't mention, and that's the ultimate fate of that servant who was not faithful with the one talent. I'm going to read again verses 28 through 30. The master said, take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more, and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And note this part, and throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Everyone look up here for a moment. What do we learn from this? I think there's only one answer to that question, and that's this. 
The problem with this servant was not just that he was unfaithful. The problem with this servant was that he was faithless. Because when you read words like darkness and weeping and, na and a gnashing of teeth in the New Testament, it's always a reference to eternal separation from God. The problem was not just that he was unfaithful. The problem was that he was faithless. We're not saved by our works. The Bible makes that really clear. But the way we live our lives is supposed to be a reflection of the reality of our salvation. Look at these words on the screen from Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. Paul says, For it is by grace you've been saved through faith, and this not from yourselves. It's a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And then notice what he says Next, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. In James' epistle in the New Testament, he said, faith without works is what? Dead. He says it's dead. And I don't think that's something that can be ignored. Someone who is a genuine follower of Christ, who has genuinely committed their heart to Christ, is not going to waste the opportunities and the resources and the talents and skills and influence that God has given them. So let me just close with a couple of questions. First of all, does the way you spend or invest, whatever word you want to use, does the way you spend or invest your life reflect your complete surrender to Christ? I mean, if we were to look at our lives and our calendars and the way we spend our time, the way we spend the resources God has given us, does it reflect our complete and full surrender to Christ? And then the second question, which is really just a repeat, what do you need to go at once and begin to do because you recognize the opportunity or the opportunities that Jesus has given you and you don't want to waste your life because you want to be ready and prepared on that day and that hour when he returns.